Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today, we are getting back to an episode that we had to stop halfway through due to storms, and then due to life, COVID, and other various factors have been trying for a while to get back to. So we are going to talk about Karn, we're going to talk about depression, and we are joined by the wonderful Chase. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Chase, also known as Mana Curves. Um, I have a fascination with Karn that has that literally started in college um, when I was inebriated one night and I told my boyfriend at the time to tell me the history of magic. He told me everything and a lot about Karn. The next day I woke up hungover with my uh, wallpaper on my uh, computer of Karn. So um Really have <laughs> I still just love that story. I yeah, love that story too because I woke up and I was just yeah. like, "What?" And my boyfriend was like, "You were really into the lore the other night." <laughs> um, I'm just glad that is the direction you go, and it didn't go to like you got really obsessed with Urza. No, I I just really I don't know. There was just something really cool about a big metal man who felt things. <laughs> I just really liked it. <laughs> if you really think about it, um, and this is another idea for a video I might do in the future, um, The Wizard of Oz, but have it relate and parallel to Magic the Gathering. Karn is obviously the Tin Man. Um, and uh, that's all I have. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a work in progress. Well, Norrin the, uh, the Wary is obviously the Cowardly Lion. I mean, as I say, the wizard has to be Urza because he just has yeah. a bunch of random garbage in a box that he gives He's to like, people. I have a heart. I have a kidney. I have a lung. <laughs> I got the ability to send you home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we have oh. Norrin the Wary as the Cowardly Lion. I mean, we're only really missing from the main players somebody without a brain. Hmm. Gideon? i was just naming something randomly i really haven't dug deep into gideon's lore i'm sorry (laughs) gideon the himbo (laughs) i just really think that like honestly the cowardly lion would be a johnny and he didn't get courage until he got elspeth's cape okay (laughs) that's fine you that that's cute i like it thank you Welcome Someone had to case. die for it to happen, but <laughs> he got that courage. <laughs> On that note, I guess I should. We should introduce ourselves too. Yeah, um, Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler, and I am Hobbs Q. Pronouns he him, and I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. And we uh, we we started this episode, and we had some weird recording issues. Uh, we sound very slowed down at times, and then we got interrupted by a tornado warning. And Alex, at one point, uh, was kind of joking that we don't <laughs> even know this is supposed to be part two, but for it feels like it could be part three or four because we've tried to record this. This has been like a cursed episode in some ways to return to this topic. And we basically had just gotten through the lore of Karn and starting to talk about the main topic of depression, something that we really wanted to kind of hit on because there were some great story beats that Alex found when it came to Karn. Yeah, and that's you know, what we'd like to do with the show. We, we like to talk about story and lore and, you know, fit characters to other characters and other properties. That's all a lot of fun, but we also want to try to bring stuff to, to the real world's topics, to bring stuff to mental health and, and kind of help 
make that those topics more relatable and just to have conversation around some of these topics that we just don't talk about in society enough. Um, so in, in that regard, because we covered the story pretty heavily in the last episode, we're going to just pare this down um, to two particular story beats that, that I found that, that specifically talk about Karn being depressed. So I think we're going to start with the first one. We're going to kind of talk about that and then we'll get to the second one and, and then continue to kind of stir that into the topic here. Um, so Karn was a Urza created Karn for various Urza related reasons. Urza's the worst. It, you will talk, we talk about that more in the last episode. Um, ultimately Karn did the plan that Urza had didn't work out for Karn. So he kind of just left him kicking around while he was working on his academy Urza's Academy to do research and do different things. And so well at the Academy, Karn became good friends with Joyra. Um, eventually she left and went back to the manor rig and Shiv. And now Karn having nothing to do and no friends um, had really get his mental health got really bad. Um, and Baron, who was the head of the Academy showed some concern and, and went to Urza and said, like, you, you have to do something. He he's in a bad place. And so, Urza's solution, because Urza is the worst, um, was to put a cap on Karn's memories so that he can only remember 20 years of his life. Um, and here, here's a quote that I got straight from the wiki that um, there was only one thing that Karn never wished to forget. Every night he would hold a picture of Joyra and repeat the mantra, Joyra is my friend. Uh, I have another note too in our notes that um, she was the one who gave him his name. Because apparently Urza couldn't be bothered. It wasn't worth his time. Yeah. No, and, and the final bullet point there is, of course, Urza is terrible. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about this last time with the idea that, you know, um, he had he had a friend, and and that was the only thing that he really wanted to hold on to. And after she leaves, in order to kind of circumvent this, Urza's suggestion is to kind of just almost like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind him and just try to like excise this like kind of keep him from being able to form memories to be able to kind of it's it wasn't a matter of like dealing with the loss or speaking of the loss it was like no just forget it um except karn like can't do that and so he like sadly like every night is just like chanting to himself basically a mantra about not forgetting a friend <laughs> I was like, that's some prolonged silence, my guy. <laughs> yeah, it, that one, that just makes me really upset with her. <laughs> just, yeah. just like, um, do you want to go to the other one or do we have more that we kind of want to talk about depression? Well, no, we might come back to it. But yeah, what's the, the other one is the kind of the, the bigger and, one, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the other one was much, much later after the invasion, and, and Karn is a, is a planeswalker. Um, he creates his own plane, um, Argentum, um, and there um, he sent out probes to many worlds to, to just see what was going on in the multiverse. And at this point, Karn has once again kind of lost everyone he knows. Um, Gerard and the other, you know, has died. Gerard like, died during the invasion, um, and this may have been long enough after the invasion itself that most of the other folk that Karn knew were dead at that point too, being mortals and him being both silver and a planeswalker. He, he wasn't. So he is on his own world by himself, sends out these probes to, 
to go to see what's going on in the multiverse. And then here's another quote. Um, Looking out upon the worlds, he found nothing but greed and death, blind as he was to the beauty of the worlds he found. Uh, Once again, Karn fell into depression and stagnated upon his plane. Yeah, so this is kind of where I think we had had left off, was Mm -hmm. talking about this idea that in this situation, Karn is like literally unable to even see beauty. But we also talked about this idea that he's just kind of mindlessly sending out these drones. Like there's no, or these probes. There's no real indication that he is even invested in it. It's more, it's something to kind of try to do to pass the time. And it's not even serving that purpose because it's it's doing nothing to pull him out of this depression. He can't see beauty when he's sending out probes to other worlds. Um, If you hear a purring, that's my cat. But I also want to make a comment. She's really liking my microphone. Um, But I really think that kind of like, I really like how it says that he, he focused on the negatives rather than looking at the beauty. And I think that also really ties in heavily to that depression. It's that you were, he's self isolating. He is looking at, these vast majority of this beautiful thing. And yet all he can seem to do is focus on the negative. And that's, you know, something that I think a lot of us can kind of um, see within ourselves that there are many times where we see this beauty around us. And instead we, we tend to just sort of tunnel vision on, you know, the negativity. Um, And I think that's what Karn is doing. And I, I think it's kind of interesting to find that parallel there. Yeah, it would be kind of like thinking of this idea, you know, we've talked about cognitive distortions on the show in the past. So we talked about kind of some of the common ones being this idea that you disqualify the positive or you kind of have that tunnel vision where everything gets affected by one bad thing. So, you know, if if somebody, we you know, we get five comments on the show and one of them even has a hint of negative negativity, you know, a depressive brain is going to be more likely to remember the one instead of the four. And that is actually, there's research into kind of how we're able, you're able to process that information better. If you're more prone to depression, you can process that negative information and you're not even aware of the positive things that are out there. Even if people remind you of them, it's not like you're going to just believe them. And like what you said, like what you said too, Chase, talking about the the isolation, because what actually brought Karna out of that um, depressive episode was meeting Corona. I think that be how you pronounce it. Um, there's a whole thing with the story of of Karna the mm-hmm. False God in that that I don't really want to go into, but that that meeting helped pull him out of this because now he had someone to talk to, and there were some issues caused by one of the the probes that he had sent out. So I think he had felt some responsibility there, and that gave mm-hmm. him something to go do and to help and to take care of. Yeah, he had to get up. I mean, he had to. He actually had to physically leave where he was at you know we kind of talk about this idea of you know behavioral activation he had to physically just do Do anything yeah at all to kind of get himself kind of the opposite action where he wanted to just continue to isolate but once he had a purpose or something to kind of drag him he starts making those those steps now unfortunately what that means is he leaves argentum kind of (laughs) unguarded (laughs) alone Mm-hmm. a plane that he created but um well let's talk about depression and and 
for the purpose of this, we really want to talk about kind of this idea of what major depressive disorder is. So um, not just feeling blue or having some bad days or even having a depressed mood. It really is a diagnostic category within the DSM, major depressive disorder. And just like with everything that we talk about on the show, you know, the the purpose of this is we're not help, trying to help people diagnose. It is to just be informative, to realize that a real diagnosis needs to be made by somebody who has the chance to sit down and actually look at your history and pull these things together because a lot of this is stuff that is probably going to resonate with people. And it's not a matter of having it once or twice. It's a matter of this pattern or mm-hmm. this cluster. And so we just always want to kind of remind people that as we're looking at this stuff, if you really do, you're thinking that you might, there might be something more to this or something going on, please, please, please seek out, uh, ask for help mm-hmm. because we are not going to be able to do that for you. We are kind of providing you a framework to maybe understand how this disorder can come about. Um, I feel like it's also important to note that um, a lot of symptoms within the DSM um, are synonymous with other symptoms of other disorders. Um, so there there could be some things that you see um, that could be represented in something completely different. Um, so it's always really important to like keep that in mind too. Because um, a lot of times, you know, you can look at fatigue as, you know, okay, well, that's a symptom of depression is like fatigue or loss of energy. But that could also be related to something else, either something else um, regarding mental health or something regarding your physical health. Um, yeah. which is very, yeah, it's, that's one of my <laughs> things I don't like about, um, the, the symptoms, uh, like the symptom checklist is that a lot of this can be physically related as well. Um, yeah. it's, it's very, it's such a very like awkward, thin line to navigate. And that's why, and that is why we always say, you know, that, that this is why it is important if you are concerned about the stuff that you do you know, actually see somebody that has a little bit more knowledge or expertise in that area who's actually been trained in how to tease out some of that. Because we know that there's a mind-body connection. We know there's a big overlap. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I've told this before. When I was first diagnosed with depression, I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. Um, I was a runner. And uh, my biggest symptom was fatigue. And I just was like, fatigued. I was running inconsistently. I'd have a good run. I'd have a bad run. I didn't really know what was going on. And, um, you know, I, I went to my primary care doctor because I was like, man, I must have low iron. I must have a vitamin deficiency. You know, there must be something physically wrong. And they gave me a screening measure for depression. And I started checking off all these questions like, this is really weird. I have no clue what they're asking me. And then like, by the end of it started kind of noticing the pattern and 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 learned that you know a lot of these physical symptoms or at least how i was presenting were really related to kind of a depressive episode that i was not really aware of because i didn't think of myself as necessarily a sad person and i think that that's why we want to talk about what some of the hallmark symptoms are of depression because it isn't just sadness that that can be a big part of it and there's been times in my life where it has been but but I will say, when I was a, a young teenager, it really wasn't sadness as much as it was some of those other stuff. Um, and that's why there's actually, there's two symptoms. Uh, so the, the two symptoms that you have to have one of these two present. So if, as you've, if you've ever looked at a diagnostic 
standpoint, um, there's like clusters of symptoms. So it's like mm-hmm. they give a laundry list of seven or eight, and you have to have X number of them for a certain period of time. And um, But for depression, there actually is two that you have to have one or the other. Now, the first is depressed mood. Um, depressed mood is, is kind of an interesting one because that may not necessarily be related to like the concept of like feeling blue. So for, and for like example, some of it could be, yes, you could feel sad, um, feelings of hopelessness or emptiness, being tearful, or even, um, being irritable kind of relates to that depressed mood. And when we think of like that irritability, we tend to not really associate that with depressed mood. Um, but when we kind of look at it from a broad standpoint, there's like, um, sort of like this, like upregulating and like downregulating emotions. Um, and I feel like irritability is one of those weird ones that can, that can also be both upregulating and downregulating. Like you can be so irritable that you're really angry and that you feel like your heart racing. Um, but there's sometimes where you're just like quick snap, you know, it's, it's, it's very weird to kind of like look at this and realize that depressed mood isn't just, oh, I'm feeling sad. It can be a lot of different things. Right. And I, and I would say that too, you know, the, the emptiness, the hopelessness, um, that irritability, uh, th- these are important to recognize because especially if you have trouble with labeling your emotions, a lot of times with irritability, it can tend to be developed when we don't really know how to express ourselves or we're not really sure what we're feeling. And so it ends up being, like you said, kind of that upregulation or downregulation because you're just trying to find a way to express it. And it ends up being just kind of annoyance is what ends up coming out. Now, this has to be present nearly every day for a period of at least two weeks. And we kind of say that is the key is this mm-hmm. is not just related to you had a bad day. And yeah, it even persisted for two days. You had a tough time. And then you kind of were feeling pretty good. This is kind of a prolonged period of depression. Now, the other symptom is one that I think we see more in Karn, and to me is the one that I think people ignore, which is diminished interest or pleasure in activities that you used to find enjoyable. That is the one that, in in years past, I've had some seasonal depression type thing and and that's the the big clue for me is that or i'm sleeping a lot <laughs> mhm um that actually relates to one of the other symptoms which is i which is either um you either have a really hard time getting sleep or you 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 sleep a lot um which again kind of goes in that, in that weird sort of like fine line of like it's either or um like which can also t- kind of tie into fatigue is like another kind of kind of way to like tie that in together is like you may be sleeping a lot but you're still feeling that loss of energy um yeah i mean kind of usually it's described as kind of that you know sleeping 10 to 12 hours a day and still still feeling just low energy low motivation unable to get going um and we're actually going to hit on a couple of these that it, depression i think is interesting because there's a lot of these physical symptoms, or at least what appear to be physical symptoms, as you're saying, mm-hmm. that are related to depression, I think, mm-hmm. more than a lot of other disorders. And they tend to be flip sides of each other a lot of times. Oh, yeah. That, that it's either too much or too little. And this mm-hmm. is one disorder where we really see that. So another one would be appetite. So mm-hmm. some people, 
you know, it's kind of that noticing the difference of kind of either significant weight loss when you're not really intending to, you're just kind of just, you don't have the energy, you don't eat, you don't bother, you don't think about it. Or you have kind of that opposite where you're kind of eating your feelings or you're just kind of, your appetite is really greatly increasing. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's for me. I tend to eat a lot because I feel bored and I feel like I don't have a lot to do. And then I, I just do that too. Tends to be easy to grab food. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of either end of that spectrum. And then the same thing with insomnia or hypersomnia. Um, I will say that the insomnia that I tend to associate with depression is usually that kind of uh, not being able to fall asleep because you can't shut your mind off. Oh, Yeah. I kind of like to think of it as, um, and it can also kind of tie in, I think, with like intrusive thoughts too. Um, you know, like you're like lying down and you're like, hey, you remember that thing that you did that you're really embarrassed about? Let's bring it back up. And then you bring it back up and then you kind of were like, oh no. <laughs> and then you go back into the cycle of things, um, which also intrusive thoughts aren't necessarily a symptom of, of, of major depressive disorder, but I think that, you know, when they sort of tie into one of the other symptoms, um, you know, which is um, thoughts of death can also kind of tie into that. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about the thoughts of death? Because I think we covered this a little bit on the suicide um, ideation episode when we talked about Gideon, Mm -hmm. but thoughts of death is actually a very interesting kind of uh, symptom cluster because it is not necessarily just that you want to kill yourself. Yeah. So it's thoughts of thoughts of death are very, it's very weird. You have like, it's sort of separated into two um, subtopics. You have uh, passive idealization um, or uh, active. Um, And so you can have these thoughts, but you don't necessarily have to act on them. And that's a very important like distinction to make sort of the passive thoughts are, um, you know, I wish that a car would hit me. I wish that, you know, this thing would happen to me. Whereas the active thoughts are sort of, you were thinking about doing this yourself. Um, and there may not be any intent because it's separated into sort of like, you may be having like these, um, uh, ideations, but you don't have the intent, uh, behind it. Um, or you do have intent behind it. Um, which also leads into, um, different, um, categorizations and and treatment plans and things that all desperately need to be talked about with a therapist or a mental health professional. Um, yeah. But those, to, yeah, it, go ahead. It really is this idea that, you know, there's kind of, um, for some people, they just have thoughts of dying. Like mm-hmm. it would be better if I were to die. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what it would be like if I were dead, you know, who would come to my funeral there, nobody would be there or, mm-hmm. Like you said, yes, I wish I would get hit by a car. I don't want to do anything actively to kill myself, but yeah. I, I kind of don't like being here. And and there's a distinction really mm-hmm. between that and then starting to make a plan, starting to mm-hmm. have like preparatory behavior where you're seeking out items or you're, you mm-hmm. have a plan, you're starting to have a date and time. Um, both of those are encompassed by this. I know that when I was you know, the worst I kind of have been, I never really had kind of the active where I wanted to do something to myself, but I definitely had periods of time where it was just kind of like, I just wish something would stop this just like Mm -hmm. blah and this feelings of depression. I just wish that something would change and that I could wake up and it would be, I'd just be gone. 
and thoughts of um i mean pa- p uh like sort of the passive thoughts are don't necessarily even have to be related to death which kind of gets into like that weird sort of area um but you know i wish i you know i wasn't here or i wish i could just sleep for a really long time um i wish that you know like i could just you know blink out of existence for like a couple of hours um are also kind of in that in that field of passivity and i will say too i um the last couple of symptoms here uh so we have once again what is called either psychomotor agitation or psychomotor retardation which basically means either kind of if you think of it like the bounciness that you might see like somebody who can't sit still um and it's not like anxiety but they're just they're for me, I, I can't sit still. Like my mm-hmm. my legs are bouncing when I am feeling down. I just I feel like I can't sit still, and my legs are bouncing enough that it is observable by others. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, this is one that like there's a joke in my family. Like they call that um, Hobbesine, well Thomasine, because I can't sit still. And like if anybody else starts doing it, they'll just it's really noticeable. But I'd actually like to ask a question about that. And um, would you say that's sort of like that? Because um, this is where. Um, I would like to kind of further my own education on this is like sort of like that, like that restlessness, the bouncing of the leg, or maybe like the fiddling with things nearby you. Cause I also, um, I also can't really sit still. Would that be categorized here as sort of a self-soothe or is that more just the actual like psychomotor agitation? Um, so some people, you know, it's, it's believed like they, they, they don't even aware that they're doing it cause they're, they are trying to kind of self-soothe or they're trying mm-hmm. to get the agitation or the irritation kind of out, you know, um, because they're, they're not usually aware of it. It even says here in the DSM, it's not like a just subjective feeling of restlessness. It's not just that you can't sit still. Like, I won't even notice that I'm doing it. It's not uncomfortable to me. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. feel restless. It's just, it's something that my body is just doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say that those that kind of figure, fill under fit under that same idea of like kind of self-soothing where your body is trying to like regulate itself. Yeah. Um, And the other side of this is then psychomotor retardation, which is just really like subjectively slowed down. Like your movements are slowed. You're just kind of, you know, enough that people will notice it, you know, that you're just kind of doing everything in an almost slow motion. Mm -hmm. And then feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. And this is kind of not just, guilt about being sick or self-reproach mm-hmm. this is really kind of inappropriate guilt or an excessive guilt you know like feeling guilty for things that are well beyond kind of your contribution to them mm-hmm. um these feelings of guilt i think is where we can come back to karn actually i would like to highlight though the dsm's use of the word inappropriate as in my opinion i don't really like that wording there um i definitely think like excessive guilt because you know um it's all about everyone's lived perspectives. Um, yeah. But I'm just noticing that because I'm looking at my DSM right here and I'm reading through that and the concept of like inappropriate guilt. I don't know. For some reason, that just hits weird. <laughs> it kind of it kind of gets to, um, you, you know, like I found myself saying I was sorry for things that I definitely had no reason to be sorry for or oh, were yeah, not that's even right. anything. You know, so I think <laughs> it talks about even that like idea that can be delusional, but mm-hmm. but it is really this inappropriate. I think what they mean is kind of mm-hmm. that you're apologizing for apologizing. Yeah, maybe for like inappropriate in terms of like it's not appropriate for the situation that it's happening in. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I uh, 
For instance, uh, if my friend is taking a little too long to message me back, this is going to be a self call out here. Um, <laughs> if my friend is taking a little bit too long to message me back, I start to get very anxious and very nervous and very sad. So I'll just text them. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So After they feeling, haven't texted me and I'm like, oh God. Yeah. Like you're, so you're feeling guilt over something that. Yes. There's like, yeah. But I mean, I think that that's what it is kind of referring to. Cause I, I do agree that inappropriate does sound a bit weird here, but I think it's mm -hmm. referring to, I always think of it as kind of those situations where you just start like apologizing for apologizing and then you're down a rabbit hole. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I wanted to highlight, you know, that even though this is the most current and up-to-date form of the DSM, there, I think that there's still pieces of language, not just, yes, I mean, just across the entire general, board yes, that need to be um, worked on and, and changed. Because um, I think it's very important that, you know, the, the um, professional language should be less, um, I would say, judgmental, yes. Yeah. So, Alex, I think that when we had talked before, um, there was an element of guilt to Karn's story. Uh, I mean, even coming in place with, like, where he, his card to do with pacifism, to do with this idea that oh, he, like, yeah. was never going to kill again. And then that, like, even gets used against him, which I think is, like, such a horrible thing. Yeah, that that, that is part of his his backstory with, when... So after the Academy and after all of this... Um, Urza decided to close down the yard sale, stop trying to sell things, and turn that collection into what is later called the Legacy. And Karn, being one of Urza's random bits and bobs, became also part of the Legacy. Um, and that whole thing kind of was, was given to Gerard. This was part of Urza's myriad of plans to stop the Phyrexians. Well, so Karn ended up spending a lot of time with Gerard. And at some point, and I can't remember the actual story, the, the, the specifics of it, but at some point, Karn, um, in defense, I believe it was in defense of Gerard, ends up killing somebody. And Karn, being made out of silver, is at a very significant physical advantage over just normal, random people. And and I think the ease with which he killed someone, it just that became a such a terrible thing to him. Like the original art for the card, pacifism, is Karn. I like. I have an intrusive thought here about Karn that just popped up in my head. Perfect do you example. Think that he is no. <laughs> do you think that he is solid silver, or do you think he is kind of like hollow a little on the inside, like those like chocolate bunnies? And the reason why I ask <laughs> is because I feel like Urza would not want to spend the money or the time to get that much silver to like completely fill <laughs> like a full thing. Do you? I, th I, I really know. thought you were going with like some analogy of like, no, I'm really he's, not. He's hollow and he's empty well, like, the and thing is, dead. Like, no, 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 no. I was literally just thinking about like Karn as a person, and then and then we we're talking about him like you know fighting somebody and how he has an advantage. And I'm like, well, if he's hollow, um, maybe. Not. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. I just really <laughs> needed to express that. Like, no, do you think that he is solid? Is there anywhere in the lore that says the word solid? Otherwise, I feel like I, there's just, he just has like... I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. The fact that he was supposed to go back in time. So this is the plot. This is, this is Urza's stupid plot. 
that Karn was supposed to go back in time and destroy the Phyrexians before they got started. So, like, he is supposed to be physically capable of of a lot of damage. Um, and I do need to correct myself. It was not the original art of pacifism. It was originally printed in Mirage, but they reprinted it in Tempest with Karn in the art. Yeah. yeah. And that was part of the story there that mm-hmm. because of his, his oath of pacifism, he didn't resist as he was just carried right off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he actually that was the whole thing. He had been tricked into killing an innocent bystander. Um mm-hmm. and that that was when he was so he he would rescue Gerard from the mm-hmm. Phyrexian raids. And then uh Kondo's son basically turned against his tribe and stole the legacy and Karn went to retrieve it. During this, he was tricked into killing somebody. And so he took this vow of so basically he gets deactivated, and then when he's reactivated it's basically this memory of killing is the first thing. It's like fresh in his mind. And I, now, I think, oh, sorry, Hobbs, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, now th- this is an example of kind of, I think that we see Karn carry with him this guilt. And I do think that, yes, he did kill somebody. It was an innocent. He was tricked into it. He takes a vow of pacifism to a point where he won't even act to save himself. And I think it is an example of kind of how you might see excessive guilt, you know, to the point where he might not even think that it's he's worth saving at that mm-hmm. point or he's worth. Yeah. And I also feel like this is kind of a really sort of great way to explain that, you know, um, a lot of individuals who seek out treatment for mental health often have sort of like the the stigmatized reaction of um there's something wrong with me you know this is this is my fault uh, that i feel this way you know there's something there's something wrong i'm broken um but i think that karn's story is a really great way to kind of emphasize that sometimes you know mental health is a result of of one's environment and Karn was in a very difficult environment and put him through a lot. I mean, you had Urza for a dad that just really puts a lot on him. I mean, I'm I'm being serious. I'm not trying <laughs> no, to make no, a joke. No, no, it isn't. It's like I just it, heard it, it, is, it is. It is like, very serious. Um, uh, being... Teferi was a Teferi called him Artie Shovelhead and like was not nice to him. You know, that was the whole thing of his friendship with Joyra. Like he mm-hmm. he had kind of a really bad upbringing and then he's basically just tossed to the side and it's it it affects you it affects the way that your brain develops Mm -hmm. um and that leads down to sort of i mean this manifesting later down the road and you know struggling with it it can be very difficult um so karn was really put through a lot so it makes it makes sense that this was a result of that um, yeah. And it's really nice to have that sort of like representation, whether it was meant to or not, kind of that have that representation within like magic lore. Well, yeah. And then taking him to the the storyline of kind of I, I mean, I think to me, the the image of him basically on it, wanting to create a perfect world, a, a, like a mathematical, perfect mechanical mm-hmm. world. And it's just even then he just feels isolated. Yeah. Like, like he's just sitting there and then i think the imagery of him sending out the probes and that line of just not being able to see the beauty in the world yeah yeah because he came back because all he's seeing is the greed and the death Mm -hmm. i I feel like this ties into with like maybe karn's desire for a need for control he didn't really have much control in his earlier years and he didn't have much control 
with um with his experience. I mean, he was literally like tricked into killing somebody. So the fact that he wanted to make a perfect world, it's like this is my place. I can control what happens here. Mm-hmm. This is within my control. And even setting out probes is like, okay, I can see if I can help other people. But instead it just sort of turned into um even I even though I can control this one thing, I cannot control all the pain that everyone else is feeling, which just fuels into this this feeling of 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 helplessness. Yeah, and starts reinforcing for him, you know, we talked about these cognitive distortions and kind of, you know, we've talked about CBT in here a lot, that how our thoughts affect our feelings, affect our behavior, and how that can spiral. And, you know, we just see how well Karn's basic schemas that he has about himself are kind of there's a lot of kind of probably feelings of worklessness and kind of Mm -hmm. this idea of like hopelessness guilt and then it leads to where he he just he can get probes and you know I, i i just think of it as that thing that you know there could be so much beauty and he cannot see it yeah it it just doesn't even process it doesn't even register the stuff that does is all the negative it's all the yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm sorry to to jump in here, but just thinking about what you what you two are talking about, his entire life, he he was he was powerless until he became a planeswalker and in the old and an old school planeswalker with the nearly unlimited godlike power. Um, and then then what does he do? He goes and builds a plane without anyone on it to build his you know plane of mathematical perfection completely by himself with no one else you know it's a plane without conflict because it's a plane without life Mm -hmm. and then when he goes and and now on this plane by himself he decides to look out upon the the multiverse all he's seeing through his filters are the greed and the death on all these worlds i just the the image to me of karn in isolation is just you know now now we could say that since then we've, we, you know, we've seen Karn kind of rejoin and he, he was there for War of the Spark. He, you know, he was very involved. He was very much engaged with these, these new people, you know, I mean, Teferi's still around. Um, but other than that, you know, there's a lot of people that he doesn't know that he's now connected with. We've seen him engaged and he's reached back out to the world. Mm-hmm. But my image of him is just in isolation and just... I just, that is how I picture Karn, I think, um, is trying to do what he can and it, mm-hmm. and it not going well. You know, he's, he's almost trying to seek out ways to activate himself and to get these behavioral, uh, things going. And he's just, it's not mm-hmm. working. So he ends up just isolating. And the longer yeah. that, that happens, it just reinforces so much of his suffering. And to go back on schemas, it's very hard to create these new pathways, these new positive pathways when all you've known are, are, are these negative associations and having like those negative schemas in your mind. It's very difficult to to change that. And while Karn was able to, you know, sort of perform this behavioral activation, it's not, you know, an instantaneous thing. It's something that takes a, a lot of time and a lot of work. Um, and that should, I feel like that should be noted is that, you know, Karn was able to kind of get out there and, and help when he needed to. Um, but it's, it's not at all like an instantaneous sort of click into place thing. Yeah. And that's, that's something that 
narrative often doesn't get right. Um, like not to get too far off of track, but Iron Man three had, had that sort of thing with, with Tony Stark, where there was definitely a, um, PTSD storyline that kind of just stops at a point when it was convenient for the plot. Um, so we'll see what happens with Karn. I mean, at this point, we've seen him in War of the Spark because I kind of brought everybody in, but um, saw him in Dominaria a little bit. We know his plan is to take a nuke that Urza buried and just left there and go see what he can do about the Phyrexians. So who knows what will happen with that storyline. Um, I'm excited for Phyrexia. I'm sorry. I know many people aren't, but I love oh. it. I, I am for, for this chance of seeing Karn now having to go back to a world that we don't know what the implications are. I mean, mm-hmm. he left it at the height of the Phyrexians basically taking it over, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's when he 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 is left and he feels, I think, incredible guilt over yeah. having to leave the plane again. Mm-hmm. I definitely I yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. This is yeah. but this is an area for story that I really want to see. Yeah. Like, I think we're gonna get a lot of uh more insight into Karn's growth and also his his reaction to returning back to such a plane that's momentous in magic history and momentous in his history. Um the you know when he was um tainted with Phyrexian oil and I just think mm-hmm. that this is gonna hit him very hard and I think it's going to be I think a really good opportunity to have more of this representation in magic lore um, now that we have stories coming back and the return of those stories. I think this is going to be pretty big. Yeah. I mean, and he actually, during the time spiral block, um, when he, he gave up his spark to, to fix one of the time rifts, um, his last act was he realized something, something was going on and Mirrodin and was to, to send himself back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was unable to fix it. And in fact, almost made it worse by being uh, assimilated until um, a friend of his that he made during the time spiral block sacrificed himself, gave up his spark and purified Karn of the Phyrexian influence. Right. And how he is dealt with, I mean, we really haven't seen him deal with the fallout of Venser. Yeah. That's being the friend that sacrificed himself. I mean, mm-hmm. he hasn't, really seen what we've gotten for Karn since then has more been cards and kind of him being there more than it has Mm -hmm. been kind of, you know, like his role in return to Dominaria, which is like a great place. I mean, he he went there to get the Silex, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, both stories that we've seen him in were other people's stories yeah. that he was on more on the periphery of. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, Car- one of the things that interested in me in Karn so much to make him my laptop background that lovely evening three years ago, um, <laughs> three to four years ago, was um, his his story is just so like rich. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just really drew me to the character. All I knew about Karn was his original like creature card, you know, the mm-hmm. one with the orange background. He's like kind of like like lunging for you a little bit. That's all I knew of him. And to have like that really rich backstory and to learn about his um his issues, his his friendships, what it all meant to him. And even learning more about Karn here just by talking with you guys, I think he's probably one of the most in-depth magic characters and i think that as of late 
we're not we're not getting that anymore and so i'm really hoping for that return to phyrexia that we get to see the return of like okay because i remember a uh, time has no meaning anymore but um a while ago i remember um wizards was saying hey we're gonna take we're gonna have the gatewatch take a little bit of a back seat yeah and i think that this is we're i think we're about to stumble into that era now where mm-hmm. we really get karn to get his to kind of get that that spotlight again is um you know we're gonna stop talking about gideon and jace and we're gonna start focusing on you know the 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 man that started at all really is like we're really going back to like one of magic's oldest richest storylines um and that's going to be incredibly big yeah i mean i i just i really hope that they continue this with this growth that we've seen i mean it's just mm-hmm. when alex came with this episode it was just kind of the research that he had done into karn just finding this these situations too where on the wiki and and in some of the stories it literally talks about karn's depression i mean it literally names Mm it Mm -hmm. and we're talking about a golem we're talking about something that was not seen as fully you know its own i mean living it's it's a man made of metal i mean it's metal come alive Mm -hmm. Um, he's now had multiple sparks you know Mm -hmm. like there's the the, karn is such a rich character and he's also this I mean, he is like the sad robot in some ways. I mean, yeah. we know that it's not solemn simulacrum, but he is. He is. I mean, that's what well, we're he's, seeing. He's been giving narrative space to emote in ways that we don't see in a lot of characters. Um, mm-hmm. Come back to this a lot when we talk about emotions and magic, because at its central core, the card game is a game about conflict between two planeswalkers, two wizards throwing spells and summoning creatures at each other. Um, so there isn't a lot of, it, it's a, it's a narrow band of human experience. It's a narrow band of emotion that's relevant mm-hmm. to that, but we're starting to see like corn has been given this narrative space going back a long time, much longer than most characters in recent years. And because I've been playing magic for over 20 years, when I say recent years, I mean like <laughs> five or six, um, <laughs> I need to be specific there. Um, we've started to see some of these characters as we, we talked to Michelle about Jace. There had some of that exploration on Ixalan in a way that a lot of other characters haven't gotten that opportunity. So I'm hopefully we, we get back to storyline where they can bring Karn back in give give him some more space but also kind of use that to give that type of characterization to other characters yeah i think that the gate watch is it was a very beautiful concept but it it really sort of took over the the narrative for a while and Mm. when i first started playing i had no concept at all about uh phyrexia or urza i didn't even know who teferi was when i first started playing only when i really sat down and like asked like my ex like hey i really want to know like the beginning story and he sat me down and he was like i i don't like phyrexia and i was like why they look really cool like on like my old card shop had like this big old poster from years and years ago of phyrexia versus mirrodin and he was like i don't i don't like phyrexia i'm like well why And he sat me down and told me all the story i was like I had no idea. All I knew was, you know, Jace and, and Chandra and Nyssa and Gideon just hopping around uh, in the in the mystery machine. 
Um, so for me, it was very interesting to hear about this insane untold lore that was told, but it, it just kind of got um, eclipsed for a while. Yeah. So I think we're now slowly like with Bolas kind of defeated in like the little Superman glass shadow realm, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're uh, going to re- the re- prison re- realm. Yeah, I don't know why. Dude, that's used to be the, the name meditation of a card. realm until his <laughs> asshole of an older brother came to town. Really, if we think about it, magic's just a game about two brothers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just two brothers. There's a Mishra, the brothers. Yeah was one of the first storylines in the game exactly it yeah. at the end of the day i think like the next time like we go we're, like i know we're going to another well we just went back to zendegar the next time we go back to a plane we're gonna find out like jace is a twin brother and his name is like <laughs> pace and we, we, find, <laughs> we find out like he he's been like hopping in the gatewatch every now and then and switching places and it turns out that this is just a big elaborate plot for um Oh, oh God! Uh, what's the what's the movie with the twin Lindsay Lohan's Parent Trap? <laughs> the it's, Parent Trap. It's an elaborate Parent Trap. It's an elaborate Parent Trap, but to get the gay watch back together. Um, <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah. I you know what I I had something and I almost you almost made me lose it, Chase, with that that mm-hmm. wonderful that wonderful exploration of possibilities within magic lore um i was just thinking um kind of in this in this time in this gap since the last kind of gatewatch thing i realized that we we actually have had some of this characterization with teferi a character who also has been around for a long time and hasn't had a lot of deep exploration and so what was that the most recent course set or yes yes you know like you said time has no meaning at this point but yeah so Mm -hmm. We are starting to get some of that. I am really, I'm really happy. I'm hoping yeah. we get more of that. Like they've given us a little bit, and it's like this is good. Can you just like do that as a thing, as opposed to like little pieces? I th- I think that um, magic back in the day really relied heavily on flavor text to kind of carry the weight of certain pieces <laughs> of story. Um, and then it it kind of it kind of stopped being that, which that's not an issue. It, I don't really think that's an issue because there's some flavor texts that are out now that I absolutely adore. I mean, I think they're amazing. Um, but I think now we have so much opportunity to explore that magic didn't have previously. Um, yeah. And just from like those bits of flavor text alone, I, I sometimes just get bored and Google like little tidbits of, of lore about certain characters. Like um, uh, just today I was looking at Quain um, He's one of the new cards from Commander Legends. Mm. And I found out he's like a little like rabbit wizard who is super fast paced and hates Arkelos, who is like the turtle shaman um, <laughs> to play off the tortoise and the hare. Um, <laughs> yep. Like the cards are pretty like dependent on themselves to kind of give give lore about themselves. Um, but, you know, whole blocks were just dedicated to have little bits and pieces of lair about like Urza and Teferi and Karn. Um, and I think that's really interesting is like it, it, you, you used to rely like on the whole set to kind of storytell. And now it's just like bits and pieces of lore on the cards and they don't really kind of connect. Um, you go to um, Tempest block. Actually, I think Weatherlight as well, which was before it, but mm-hmm. the whole Tempest block, you literally could just storyboard the story of the set with the mm-hmm. cards, the art and the flavor text to tell the entire story of the set. 
And I, I'm sure if you Google it, you can find people who've ordered the thing in order and you can just read <clears throat> the story the entire set. And to be honest, uh, this kind of reminds me of of something Spice 8 Rack really recently did on one of their videos. Um, they uh, <laughs> they did a video about um, uh, if oh, the, all the Magic Planeswalkers is furries. And the, what's the what's the red planeswalker from uh, Aquarium? Luca. Luca. He was talking about Luca, <laughs> and uh, every, he he was explaining like you know like I think you want me to like make Luca's uh, persona, um, you know the big cat that he has, you know because like in um in a lot of card arts he's depicted by the cat's side and being lovingly towards it, and then Spice Acrex says. Um, no, like that's not the case. All you need to do is look at this one uncommon, this one uncommon, and read the flavor text to realize that Luca's supposed to be the bad guy of this yep. set. And yep. I didn't know that until yeah. I watched that video. Because on an uncommon out of the entire set of Acoria, it said that Luca was like using the the beasts of Acoria as like weapons for revenge. And yeah, I did not get that from any of the other depictions of Luca with his cat. And I learned yeah. that from Spice 8 Rack's Fursona video. That Thank was you, Spice uh, 8 Rack. I am very appreciative of your content. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was in the novel. And we we actually talked to Michelle about that in our uh, Toxic Jason, Masculinity toxic episode. Toxic, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Luca yeah. was an example of toxic masculinity that a lot of people think of as kind of the hero, similar to how yeah. a lot of people see Urza. Yeah, well, and in, 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 in fairness, too, a lot of the ways that he is portrayed, a lot of the cards um, portray that. But they don't. They they portray that piece of his arc, but not the entirety of his arc. And in the novel, like there, mm-hmm. there is a whole arc that ends up with, with Luca like kind of declaring war on just about everybody. Exactly, and it's just it's weird that I did not know that. <laughs> I feel like it's weird that I'm this ingrained in like magic content, and I just didn't know that. <laughs> so thanks, Spice Eight Rack, for doing your furry episode. Uh, yep. That episode is just phenomenal i if you have not watched planeswalkers fursonas i highly recommend it because i was in tears because each fursona fits the planeswalker so well i think my favorite ever was um was a titania right she's the elf planeswalker or am i just getting that wrong um (laughs) spice eight reg said that her fursona was a deer with an eye patch. <laughs> and, and that made a lot of sense to me. And I really couldn't pick out why. Because deer with an eye patch. Relatedly, me. he has a video coming out on Commander Legends and he posted that the thumbnail is basically he just used goblin art in the thumbnail. <laughs> I, I really recommend Spice Rex content. Not only do you uh, have a fun time and laugh, but you also get some really good insight into real world topics and lore, yeah. which I also think is important. Um, we, we, but yeah. we, are, we, are, we are working on coordinating with him because I think there's an overlap between what this cast does uh, mm-hmm. in cast form and what he does in video form. And yeah. I think that, that it, there, there is a kinship there. So, But thank you all for joining us for this long-awaited part two that we have teased was coming out forever. And I mean, you might need to go back at this point. <laughs> well, I guess we should have said that at the beginning to go back and listen to part one again because it has been quite a while. But it, it really is just recognizing that depression is something that 
takes over. It is something mm-hmm. that, you know, is like we said, it's it's a, a matter of when we're talking about depression, especially from a clinical standpoint, is is not just feeling sad. It's not just a period of being down. It is that pervading to the point where it really kind of shuts you down and kind yeah. of makes it difficult to move. And I do think that Karn is just a beautiful metaphor for this exploration. And I, like Chase said, I hope we get more of this in the story moving forward. I really would love to see this element in particular of Karn really brought to the forefront. I think Alex mentioned planeswalkers or wizards fighting versus each other versus something like Karn fighting with himself in in a lot of ways. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. HotsQ can be found at HotsQ and Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.Bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>